Thank you for coming. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't expecting so many people to come, but I'm thankful you did. Thankful that we get to worship together in one place. I was talking just to Sam right before the service and talking about how we hate uh, thinking about letting technology uh, pull us apart, but this is maybe a wise and helpful way to allow technology to pull us apart. There's people watching from home. Welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you for watching. Lori, is that all? Does that look good, do you think? Okay, sounds good. Just checking. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in from home. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 46 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open it up to Psalm chapter 46. We're, we're pausing our Easter series to turn our attention to what's happening in our, in our world right now. To answer this question, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ live in the shadow of the coronavirus? How do we live in light of what's happening around us? I remember in 2005, I was in Houston, Texas. On August 31st, the very last clouds of Hurricane Katrina were dissipating above the Midwest. This was 19 days after it made landfall. Another hurricane started to show, to show up in the Gulf of Mexico. And this hurricane was called Hurricane Rita. Now, for most people, I think I've shared this story with you before. For, for most people, Hurricane Rita, you might not even remember it. For me, living in Houston, Hurricane Rita was a big deal. Because just 19 days before that, Hurricane Katrina was still wreaking havoc on the Gulf Coast. We in Houston, we were looking at New Orleans still underwater. We were receiving uh, refugees into Houston, into our schools, as another hurricane had its sights on us. And I remember uh, being on the couch one afternoon and watching the, the trajectory of where this hurricane was going. And I was watching the news with my dad, and I was seeing the, the dirty side of the storm, the, the eastern side of the storm was sitting, or was going to sit, right over my hometown. And I just remember how small I felt, how weak I felt, how helpless I felt. Me, a high school sophomore, compared to a storm that had the possibility to do another New Orleans all over again where I was living. And I had never felt that way before that moment. I have never felt that way since that moment until now. Because we're threatened with something that is so much bigger than us. Something we have no control over. And even as there's an epidemic of this, this coronavirus going around the world affecting hundreds of thousands of people, there's another disease, another epidemic going around right now, and that is an epidemic of fear. We today, right now, are so aware of how weak we are. We're so aware of how vulnerable we are, how helpless we are in the face of sickness and of death. And guys, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we need to be reminded of how helpless and small we are and how big and how sovereign and how good our God is. Maybe this is a chance for us to right our thinking. Maybe the sickness is a mirror for us that we get to look into and allow it to look back at us and tell us, wait a second, remember, you are limited and God is limitless. So be free, today is a day for us to ask this question, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ live in the shadow of coronavirus? And I hope that we leave today not just with less fear, but with a more accurate view of who we are and who God is. So I'm going to read Psalm chapter 64. I'm going to focus in on just the first three verses this morning. And then at the end, we're going to focus in on four things that I think we as followers of Jesus Christ need to remember 
as we live in the shadow of the coronavirus. Psalm chapter 46. Let's start by reading it, and then I'll pray again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me pray for us again, be free. Heavenly Father, you are our God. You are the Lord, the King, who is sovereign over this earth. And God, we know that. People who follow you, who believe that, we, we hold that to be true. Shouldn't that change things like sickness? Shouldn't that change the way that we, followers of you, respond to the things that happen in this world? Father, we want to know how. We want to know how the fact that you are king over all this changes the way that we should respond. So Father, today through this passage, help us step back and just get a better perspective of how we as followers of Jesus Christ should live in the shadow of the coronavirus. God, we need your comfort. We need your direction. So give it to us today, we pray. And I pray, Father, that as I, as I say what I say this morning, I believing that it is from your word, I pray that it would stick in our hearts and our minds. But Father, if I say anything today that is untrue, unwise, or unhelpful, I pray that it would just pass through our ears in one and out the other. Father, may we live for your glory in this earth by following the wisdom of your word. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you ever read the Psalms, you know Psalms are ancient poems. And because they're ancient poems, they're beautiful, but also sometimes they can be kind of hard to understand. They're full of imagery and symbolism. And when we actually read them over and over, they become more and more clear to us, more and more easy to grasp and to digest, to to see what it is the author is trying to communicate. But in Psalm chapter 46 today, verse 1, we do not need to decode it. We do not need to interpret it. Because it is so explicitly clear what the author is trying to say. He's not using fancy language. He's not using symbolism or imagery. He's saying it straightforwardly. So let me read verse 1 to you, and you'll see what I mean. He writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's hard to be more clear than that. 
God is our refuge and our strength, a very present hope in trouble. In other words, in our trouble, God is present and he is powerful. In our trouble, God is present and he is powerful. I know about a year and a half ago, Olivia was six weeks old and, uh, uh, sorry, no. <laughs> Olivia was not six weeks old. <laughs> yeah, Davy was six weeks old. And Olivia and I were at home that night. Um, it was a normal night. We put Davy to bed. And then we were up for another couple hours. We went to bed around 10 o'clock. Everything was very normal. Then about two hours after that, Olivia shakes me awake. And without any warning, without, it, without seeing it coming at all, Olivia woke up to severe hemorrhaging that night. And we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was causing this. However, over the next couple hours, Olivia would lose over a liter of blood. And so we threw Davy in the car. We, we hopped in. We started speeding down to Dover. And we were afraid. I have never been so afraid in my entire life. As I was that night. Because we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was causing it. And the wife that I loved was in trouble. So that night, I didn't have the words to pray. But we, together in the car, we cried out to God, using the only words that I could think of, just singing hymns and songs, something that would help us hold on to the truths that God has given us. Because that night in the car, what we needed was a God who was present with us and who was powerful. Now think about this. If in that time, we knew God was present but not powerful, what could he do? If he was with us but not powerful, then he could maybe say nice things to us, hold our hands. But he, had, he couldn't do anything about actually helping in that situation. He could, in other words, do just as much as I could do for Olivia. Very little. Now let's flip it. What if in that moment God was powerful but not present? He had the ability to fix what was going on, but he wasn't there to do it. That would be equally pointless, equally helpless. In that moment, what we needed was a God who was present and who was powerful. He was there with us in the tragedy or in our fear, but also able to do something about our fear. We needed a God who was able and there for us. And that night, God was present and he was powerful. God there that night was able to comfort us and to remind us of his promises. He was able to be our Prince of Peace in the midst of that chaos. He was able to heal Olivia even when later on in that night the operations weren't doing what they were meant to be doing. There was a moment later on that night when the doctor did not know what to do and just had to sit and wait and hope that Olivia's body would kick into action and do what it was supposed to do. And it did. God was present and powerful that night for us. And because of that, we had hope. I might say that God's presence and power, power are the two necessary ingredients for hope. You lose either of those and hope begins to vanish from in front of you. But that night, God, we knew, was present and he was powerful. And this passage reminds us that in our troubles, God is present and he is powerful. That's the foundation of this entire psalm and it's the foundation of everything we're going to talk about this morning. So let me read verse 1 again and then we'll move straight on to verse 2 and 3. This is what verse 1 says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, we will not fear even with, if the ground beneath us falls away from underneath us. We will not fear even if the world is thrown into chaos. Even if that chaos makes the mountains tremble, we will not fear. Why? Because God is present and because God is powerful. Our God is stronger than the chaos. Our God is more unmovable than the ground beneath our feet. He is more unshakable than the mountains. And we look around and the reality is the coronavirus is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's something that we fear, and we have reason to fear it. We're not being foolish to see the gravity of what's going on in the world. But the thing that we need to remember as Christians at a foundational level is this. No matter how big of a deal the coronavirus is, we have a God who is bigger. And that God who is bigger is with us. He is present, and he is powerful. Now, I think we have to be crystal clear of what that's not saying, though. That is not saying that God is going to be an invisible force field around us that protects us from every single germ. We've been in the world too long to believe that Christians don't get sick. And the thing is, the Bible never promises that. The Bible never promises that in this world we're going to be healthy and happy perfectly all the time. Just the opposite. The Bible promises that in this world there will be trouble. It promises that in this world there will be tribulation, that we will get sick, that eventually almost all of us will die, except for those few that are lucky to be around at the end when Jesus returns. We know that sickness and death is a very real reality for all of us, and that's because we live in a fallen world, a world that's broken by by sin and death. I want to look at the book of Luke chapter 12 really quickly. If we could put this passage up on the screen. It's Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. And in this passage, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's talking to his followers about persecution specifically. But I want to focus on this passage for a moment because the principle applies just as much to sickness and to the coronavirus as it does to persecution for our faith. Let me read this passage really quickly. Jesus says to his disciples, I I tell you, my friends. Do you hear the tone there? My friends. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. If we could boil down this passage, what is it saying? In just a couple words. I think it's this. Jesus is saying, I tell you, my friends, these people I love, people I care for, I tell you, do not fear. Do not fear the people and things that can hurt you in this life only. Do not fear the people and things that can only help you, sorry, hurt you on this side of the grave. Because there is a God who has power over all of it. 
We have a God who has power over the things in this life and power over things in the next life. He is a God who cares for you intimately, so intimately that he knows the hairs on your head. He is a God who loves you and will care for you. In other words, you might have trials in this life and you might have troubles, but have hope. You might have suffering and pain in this world, but have hope because no matter what this world throws at you, it cannot touch your eternity. And what's more, whatever this world throws at you, your God will be with you in it. You see, our very present and powerful God made absolutely sure that our eternity was secure. He did this by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. This man, Jesus Christ, experienced sickness and he experienced suffering just like us. He was like us in every single way except one. He never sinned. He never rebelled against God. And so, Jesus Christ, as the perfect man, he willingly laid down his life for us. He died receiving the punishment that we deserved for our sin, even though he never sinned. And then he rose again victorious over death. So that now, we, by faith, the record of his perfect sinless life is credited to us, and we get to share with him in his eternal life. This is the hope we have. This is the hope that we hold on to, understanding that this not only unites us with him, not only makes us his children, not only assures us that he is caring for us in this life, but that he will hold us on to the next life. Assuring us that though we can be touched in this life, we cannot be touched in the next. We have hope because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is the only place where we can find hope in somewhere like, in, in, in a situation like a, the coronavirus. The reality, if we boil it down, is this. Everything we've seen in this passage so far and this morning. In this life, we will have troubles. But in our troubles, we, 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 we need not fear. For our present and powerful God is with us now and will be forever. Let me say that again. In this life, we will have troubles. But in our troubles, we need not fear. For our present and powerful God is with us now and will be forever. That's the hope we have. That's the hope we have in light of the coronavirus. Now, I want to back up here at the end, or, at, or maybe just turn to apply everything, uh, or a couple things <laughs> that we see in this passage. I think there's a number of things that we need to remember as Jesus Christ, things that we need to hold on tightly to if we think about, when we think about how we ought to live now over these next couple weeks. I want to point out just four things that we need to remember as we try to live in the shadow of the coronavirus. And the first one is very clear. It's one I just mentioned. is that we need to remember our hope. In the shadow of the coronavirus, we need to remember our hope. Because the reality is, every single person in this room will be dead in less than 100 years. Every single one. Some of us might be dead in a week. Some might be done in, dead in 70 years. But the reality is, we know where we're going. We're going to the grave. That is a reality for every single person. So we need to just back up and acknowledge that. The question isn't whether we'll die. The question is when we will die. So in light of that, what hope do we have? There is only one place that we can turn to have hope. 
in the face of death, whether imminent or future, and it's Jesus Christ. In the face of pending death and sickness, look to the only place that you can find hope. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we can say, as the Apostle Paul says, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because we know not only what our hope is, we also know what our future will be. We will be with Him forever. That is our hope. So that's number one. In the face of the coronavirus, remember your hope. Number two, remember God's presence and power and compassion. Remember God's presence and power and compassion. I'm adding another one here. Because in the midst of our fear, we know that we have these two main ingredients to find hope. His presence and His power. We know that life is fleeting, but we know that we have a God who is present with us and who is watching over us in our fears. We know that we have a God who is powerful, who is with us and who is able to do something about the fears that we have. We need to look to Him when we have those fears. But I want to pause here now and think about another issue. Because yes, the coronavirus is an epidemic going around the world. And yes, there is an epidemic of fear going around with it. But there is a more subtle epidemic that I think is finding its way into the heart of many of us. And that's an epidemic of pride. There is an epidemic of arrogance. Because many of us, we look at the world and we think, wow, they are losing their minds. What is wrong with them? Is that how God responds to us in our fears? When I bring my illogical fears to the Lord, and I'm not saying that fear of the coronavirus is illogical. Some people might be taking it too far, but even if they are, When we bring our illogical fears to the Lord, how does he respond? God never tells me when I bring him my fears to calm down, you're overreacting. He never tells me, get over it. Rather, what he does is he draws me close and holds me tight and gives me the peace that I need. He responds to me with compassion in my illogical fears. So the question I want to ask you is, how are you responding when people are having illogical fears around you? Are you looking at them with disdain and mocking or are you looking at them with compassion? Because even if their fears are illogical, they're very real to them. Will you love them with compassion in their fears, logical or not? I want to challenge you, love the people around you with compassion and patience, understanding that even if they're wrong, they're suffering. Be a comfort to them. Encourage them in compassion. And so that's the first thing. Remember your hope. And then the second thing, remember God's presence, power, and compassion. Number three, remember our need for prayer. I feel like we treat prayer as something that's a, well, I can't do anything else, so here's prayer. But prayer is powerful. Let me actually back up. Prayer is not powerful. God is powerful. (laughs) And our prayers move the hand of God. And if we really believe that, then how could we look at something like the coronavirus and not respond in prayer? Not ask our God to do something about this mess. We know this is not the way it's supposed to be in this world. We know God didn't make his world excited that one day the coronavirus would come. We know he wants it to end. We know that he wants to fight against it. So let's ask him. Let's beg him. 
Let's pray to God for faith in the midst of our fears. Let's pray for protection and healing for ourselves, our families, our churches, our towns, our states, our country, and the world. Let's pray that the spread of the virus would slow, would stop, and would reverse. And let's pray that God's people would remember our mission in light of it. Let's pray that God's people would continue to shine the light of the gospel even into the darkness. And so tomorrow, Monday, I'm I'm setting aside, personally, as a time of fasting and prayer. And I wanted to ask you to join me. Everyone in this room and everyone watching from home, I want to ask you to join me tomorrow, setting Monday aside as a dedicated time of fasting and prayer. I've put a couple prayer requests on the back of the bulletins today. They're those things that I, I just read a moment ago, praying for faith in the midst of fear for protection and healing for yourself, your family, your church, and so on. Praying that the spread of the virus would slow, stop, and reverse. And praying that God's people would remember their mission to shine the light of the gospel into the darkness. Please join me tomorrow. Have dinner tonight, and then don't eat again until dinner tomorrow. Make a priority to bringing this before the Lord, asking Him to move. We must pray in light of this tragedy. So number one, remember your hope. Number two, remember God's presence and power. Number three, remember our need for prayer. And number four, be free, is remember your mission. I included this in the prayer one just a moment ago. But remember your mission. I want to read a quote from a pastor named Todd Wagner from Texas. Let me, let me read this. He says, Prayer-infused confidence, compassion, and selflessness should mark how we talk about coronavirus. Why? Because our Savior put on flesh and stepped into our sickness and sin and death. He healed the sick and cared for the hurting, and we must do likewise. If you remember, right at the end of the book of John, in John 20, uh, verse 21, Jesus invites us to join him in his mission. Just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And what Todd Wagner says in this quote is basically that. Join Jesus in his mission. Continue the work that he has called us to do by doing what he did for us. Laying down our lives for the people around us. Loving them with a selfless, zealous love. And we know that sickness and disaster doesn't pause the mission that God has given us. In fact, it's just the opposite. If we look through history and we pay attention to the ways the church has responded to disasters throughout history, what we see is that God's people have historically run into the darkness, holding the torch of God's light. And so in this one as well, in this tragedy, how will we respond? We too must demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ in this season with words and with deeds by speaking and by doing now that doesn't mean to be foolish that doesn't mean to be reckless be wise but also shine the light this is a chance for us this is an opportunity for us to shine God's light into the darkness so do so in word tell them about the one who offers them eternal hope tell them about the one who defeated sin and death. Tell them about the one whom they can look to when they are afraid. Number two, do so indeed. 
In these times, opportunities to serve will abound. Do so boldly. Do so wisely. Seek out ways to serve. I want to encourage you today, call somebody who's at risk. Call somebody that you know in town who is at an increased risk of infection and just talk to them. Check in on their hearts. How are they doing? And then ask them, can I run errands for you? Can I bring you food? Or can I pray for you? Move towards those in fear with compassion and comfort. Talking to them about their fears. Encouraging them to look to Jesus Christ. Take time to pray. Pray for people around you. Ask that God would use this situation to open doors of conversation so that you can talk to them about the one who can truly give them hope and eternal life. And then finally, and this is an important one, model for others the hope and peace that you have in Jesus Christ. Let the world look at you and wonder why you're being so cool about this. Wise, but calm. Let the world look at you and wonder why you are able to talk about death without panic in your eyes. Let the world look at you and recognize that you have a hope and a peace that is not based on something you dig out of your heart, but something that comes down from above. Live with hope and peace in the midst of panic, and it will be an opportunity for you to show and then speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not forget your mission. To be free in the shadow of the coronavirus, remember your hope, Jesus Christ. Remember God's presence, power, and compassion. Let that drive out pride and fear. Remember our need for prayer. Join me tomorrow in fasting. And finally, remember your mission to make disciples of all nations. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that if we could have it our way, this would be done tomorrow. But Father, this is happening in, a world, in this world because this world has fallen. This is not the way this world is supposed to be. We know that. We actually find hope in that. We find hope in that because, Lord, number one, it helps us remember that you are good even in the midst of all this bad. We also find hope in that, Lord, knowing that it's not always going to be this way. That someday there will be no more sickness, no more death. No more, there will be no more tears. One day, Lord. But today we live in this world. And today we are called to shine your light into the darkness that we are presently and currently in. And so, Father, give us wisdom. Help us not be foolish in light of all this. Help us not be prideful. Help us not think that we are exempt from sickness. But at the same time, Lord, help us not fear. Help us look to you for our hope, remembering, God, that you are present and you are powerful. And we know, Father, that you will work all this together for good, even if right now we don't see how. Finally, Father, I want to pray for the people who are infected. Father, people who are infected right now, I'm sure, are terrified. Comfort them. Heal them. Help people come around them in appropriate and wise ways. Speak words of truth to them. And I pray, Lord, for the families of those who have already lost people from this in our country and around the world. Comfort them. 
Give them hope in the midst of all of this. And Father, I pray for ourselves as people continue to get sick and die, because it's continuing in that direction. Give us compassion. Help us be wise to know how we ought to respond to this. Lord, just thinking about how much has changed in the last seven days, how much is it going to change in the next seven days? Help us be wise as things continue to change. Help us continually reevaluate what is wise, what is helpful. In all things, Lord, help us continually reevaluate how we can glorify you in this situation. And Father, finally, I pray for protection for us. Watch over us, protect us. The people watching from home, Lord, watch over them, protect them, protect our families, protect our towns, protect our state, protect our nation. And finally, Lord, protect this world. Slow the pace of the spread. Stop it and reverse it. I'm just reminded of how little control we have here once again. So, Father, we turn to you knowing that you are powerful enough to do anything. So, Father, work powerfully in the world right now. In our hearts, in our bodies, in our nations, in the world. We give all this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.